We have been having a wonderful time this for the last month and some change talking about relationships. How many of you have been blessed by, uh, by the, what the Word of God says about our relationships? We have dared to go, I won't, I won't so say where no man has gone, but I'll say uh, we've dared to go in some areas where our fellowship have, have run, has run from, and I just believe that, um, that until we start dealing with things in a very transparent, honest way, we're not going to experience true deliverance. Deliverance will never fully come in the presence of denial. Are you hearing me today? You will not experience deliverance in any part of your life that you're in denial about. God will hold back deliverance and wait for you to come out of denial about what's going on in your life. And when you come to a realization and an admission that this is going on and that this is your reality, then God will release deliverance into your life. But deliverance and denial cannot coexist because one fights the other. When you're in denial about a problem, you really don't really and can't appreciate deliverance because deliverance is for a problem that you're saying you don't have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you cannot be in denial and we cannot be in denial. We're talking about subjects that we've run from. We're not using dogmatism like we've used in the past where we demonize people on subjects like this. We're taking a biblical approach. We're being delicate. We're being gentle, yet we're being truthful. And the reality is, is that sin is filling the pews everywhere. You are the redeemed which means every one of you, I don't care how sophisticated you look or how nice you look or how good you smell, you're redeemed from sin, which means that all of us stunk in the nose of God and God bathed us and sprayed us with the perfume of his Holy Spirit and now we smell good to God, not because of we ourselves, but because of the blood that covers us. How, say amen if you, if you, if you covered by the blood. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to smell you. I don't want to any, there's nothing good about you. It is the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And that is the thing that should keep our hearts postured in humility, that at the end of the day, it's not how good we are because we're not good. And when you and I come face to face with our faults and our failures and our falters and the things that we've messed up in our lives, then I believe God looks down from heaven and he has mercy on those and grace on those who know they need him. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in here that knows you need the Lord. Any married people that know you need the Lord. Any single people that know you need the Lord. Any single people, period. I see that's a series that may need to be on the runway. Uh, and divorced, people who are divorced need the Lord. So we've been talking about the muted pachyderm in the pulpit and pews. That pachyderm, of course, we said, is nothing but an elephant, a rhinoceros, or a thick-skinned mammal. Uh, uh, and, and we're talking about divorce. So this morning, we're going to finish this part two, and we're going to have panelists, but I want to lay a foundation, a secondary foundation this morning uh, and uh, to, to, uh, for the next eight minutes, and we're asking our panelists if you would come forward at this time. 
uh, to sit on the panel as we will have some questions. And I call this the Preach and Panel Series. And throughout the year, we're going to be doing this. Um, there's no manual that says that you have to give three points in a sermon, three points in a poem for your sermon. We're going to take advantage of our creative liberty here at the Mount View Church because at the end of the day, we're trying to hook the IV of the Word up into the veins of your spirit. And sometimes that people have small veins. And so, so sometimes it doesn't work through IV. Some people need to pill. Some people need to swallow it. Some people need it rubbed on. But however you receive it, we believe God is going to give it to you. I want to invite you this morning to mark the 10th chapter. And all of you can understand the Word of God. Let me just say this. When the Word of God no longer matters, this is nothing but a show. Do you understand that, my brothers and my sisters? When the Word of God doesn't make a difference, this is nothing but a show. It's nothing but a formality. It's nothing but an exercise in, in, in fashion, in form. It is an exercise in form. It, 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 it's just emptiness. It's talking loud and saying nothing. The Word of God has to matter, and I believe you're here this morning because you believe that the Word of God matters and you want to do what's good and what's right according to God. And if that's your interest, first of all, God knows, and second of all, you'll get what you came for. Amen? Watch what the Bible says, what Jesus says, and what happens in Mark chapter 10, and we'll start with verse number, uh, let's start with verse number 2. The Bible says, and some Pharisees came to him, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. Is that in your Bible? Pharisees were the upper echelon. They, they were the teachers of that day. Everybody say Pharisees. They walked around with scribes. They knew the law. They, were, they held uh, rigidly to, uh, to get others to adhere to the law. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about them in Matthew chapter 23 and said that they, you know, they, they held up the law, but they didn't keep it themselves. Uh, they, were the, they, were, they, they had become uh, a sect that was more interested in you doing what God said than they doing what God said. Does anybody know any modern-day Pharisees today? Uh, what was good for the goose wasn't always good for the gander, but they taught the law. They knew the law. And so they, and now they were testing Jesus and to test him, they asked him a question about marriage and about divorce. And that question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife? And he answered and said to them, watch this, what did Moses command you? That's important. What did Moses command you? He answers the question with a question and asks, what did Moses command you, talking about the law? The Bible says, and they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, I need you to underline that because there are two different things working in that verse. He says, Moses commanded you to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. The sending away means divorce, but divorce also is used for the certificate. 
So you have divorce the certificate and you have the divorce the sending away. Are you with me today? In the original language, there are two different words there used for divorce. One is apostasion, which is where we get our word apostasy from, which means to fall away. And the other is apoluo, which means to send away. So the writing of the divorce uh, was confirming the sending away. You had a letter that confirmed the action. Are you understanding this? It told other people that you were sent away and that you were released. Are you understanding this? And Moses told them, according to their answer and according to the law, that he permitted, he permitted that this document, this document, this writ, in the Hebrew is called a get. You know, that's funny. It's, it's funny that it's called a get because there's some getting being done. But that get be given before the sending away. Now look at what Jesus says. Verse number five, are you with me? Are you with me? But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now, we established last week that God hates divorce. He hates divorce. But my question to this week is we know he hates it. But why would God allow Moses to permit something that he hates? Y'all with me? Just come here. Just stay on board a little bit. I'm almost done with this part. Why would God? God he clearly says it in Malachi chapter 4 verse 16. God starts out that verse. He says, I hate divorce. I hate it. But then in Deuteronomy 24... We see God permitting Moses to do it because of the hardness of their heart. Now, here's the question. Does he hate Apoluo or does he hate apostasion? Both words are divorce. <laughs> well, when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, be, be educated in here. Everybody go there. Deuteronomy 24. You got to go. Okay? Y'all all right in here? Some of y'all visiting, looking, looking carefully. Let me see if you say that we could divorce. Hey, the problem was because of the hardness of the heart. We already established last week that marriage was set up in the Bible and divorce was not an option. You remember that? Genesis 2, 21 through 24. Marriage didn't come with divorce. That combo didn't come with that. Are you understanding what? It didn't come with that. But that battery, the divorce battery wasn't included. Okay? That's, how, that's God's ideal. We went over that. I don't want to have to go over that. Again, you can get the CD or the, listen to the iPod podcast. But the reality is we have a situation that almost looks contradictory. Because God says, I hate divorce, yet he allows and permits Moses to do this thing. Now, what does Moses permit? Let's see, Deuteronomy chapter 24, and let's, let's look at verse number 1. Let's start there. Say amen if you got it. Amen. Read. When a, man takes a wife, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that he don't like 
her anymore. Because he has found some indecency <laughs> y'all see in that? her. Wait, y'all see that? He finds no favor in his eyes. Because he has found some why? indecency why doesn't he, in why her. Why does he have a problem with her? Because he found some indecency in her. And he and writes. Wait, wait, let me stop right there. Let me help you understand that indecency in that day was different. Here's the challenge with dealing with this subject that we, that we have not honored in our fellowship. We are a Western civilization. That was an Eastern civilization. We are a contemporary civilization. That was an ancient civilization. We're tried, we try to take westernized, modern situations and cram it into this Eastern text, this ancient text, and try to come up with the answer to what's going on today, the reality is you have to respect what it meant back then. You got to understand what it meant in that time first. And in that time, what you have to understand is a man was able to divorce his wife if he found out on the wedding night that she wasn't a virgin. They kept the sheets on a honeymoon night And the sheets were the evidence of her virginity. And if the sheets were not bloody, he could divorce her. That was indecency. Indecency wasn't that she burned the corn. Indecency wasn't that she gained weight. Indecency wasn't that, you know, that, that they argued. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Are you seeing what the type? Indecency wasn't any of that. But what I've learned, when a person wants what they want, they will make everything support it. Yeah, that's right, Doc. And that's not fair. Because if you make it support it, here's, the, here's how it hits you in your face again. If you make it, make it the word of God support you to get out, then if you get back in something that you want to be in forever, you'd have to keep the same standard. That's good. That's good, Doc. So the way God set it up is one man for what? For what? That's it. Amen? So watch this. He found indecency and I've got to move. And he writes her a certificate of divorce. And there it is. He writes her the certificate of divorce, read. And puts it in her hand. Puts it in her hand, read. And sends her out from his house. And does what? There's the divorce. He writes her the divorce and then divorces her. You see that? Divorce means to send away, but it also means the certificate. That's the word used for the document. Here is the problem. In that time, and you can read on, but for sake of time, I'll just explain it. In that time, what they would do is they would send her away without the document, which set her up for adultery. Why? Because she's no longer under the covering of that household, but yet she's still tied to him. Yeah, okay. I see you, Doc. Why would that be a setup for adultery? The same way it would be a setup for your kids eating out the trash if you sent them out the house hungry. The same way it's a setup in married couples 
when you starve your wife of affection or your husband of sex and then send them to a den of women or send her to a job where the men tell her how good she smells. Y'all don't, y'all not ready? Y'all not ready? Y'all not ready? I don't know if y'all ready. It's a setup. So what it does, that's called in Hebrew, that's called the Aganat. Aganat means that she's a chained wife. It means she has no covering, but she can't be free. She's wow. chained to someone who won't take care of her. Wow. wow. And so Moses, the hardness of their heart was that they stopped sending women away in a culture where the woman, now let me tell you something, in a culture where the woman was completely and holistically taken care of by the husband. Now, the reason why you can't fit Westernized culture into that today is because, like Hagar and Abraham, and when Abraham sent Hagar away, Hagar didn't have anything to eat. She, had, she ran out of food. That won't work today because today's Hagar is going to have her own car, her own job, and ain't going to let no man kick her to the curb without having some. That's why it don't work today. Y'all not ready. <laughs> so you, you had these Jewish men, these men back in there in the Eastern culture that would send their wives away. And in Malachi, where God says, God, I hate divorce, they came back out of Babylonian captivity. There's a term in that text, verse 14 through 16 of Malachi chapter 2, and the term is wife of your youth. These were older men who were married, who came out of Babylonian captivity. They were in captivity, and they looked at their wives, and their wives were old. And they looked at the Babylonian women, and they were young. Come on, Doc. So they sent their wives away, and the Bible says that God calls it, you dealt treacherously. Yeah. With the wife of your youth. Y'all all right in here? Come on, Doc. So when we get to the time of Jesus, he doesn't negate Moses. Right. What Moses did was he, God permitted him to make a commandment that would protect the one who was sent away. Right. That's right, Doc. Not demonize. It protected the one sent away so that she doesn't end up like a Hagar with no food, destitute, and can't get under the covering of another husband because she's still chained to the first husband who, watch this, who says she's his but doesn't treat her that way. That's Bible. Okay, okay. We'll do a little bit more of this uh, next time. Uh, but, the, you know, there's a whole lot of questions uh, about, you know, what about adultery and, and, and this and that and the other? Can you divorce with adultery? And Jesus talks about that. Well, Jesus is not, does never negate what God already said. Leviticus 20.10, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what the adultery costs. What is adultery? Stepping outside, 
sexual, uh, sexual involvement, right. right? However that looks. Yeah. I'm, you know, we, we're not stupid in here. We're very intelligent. We know what that is. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, you did it, you died, period. When you get a chance, read it. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10. You stepped out, you stepped off. <laughs> Period. Yeah, that's good. That's God's ideal. That's the law. But do you know what the gospels show? It shows that nobody was able to keep the law. So you had people that could not keep the law with perfection having to face the penalty of the law. So what Jesus brings with him when he is born and when he comes here, he's full of grace and truth. So in John chapter 8, when they catch the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and they say according to the law she should be stoned, they were right. Leviticus 20.10 says that. But what Jesus does is he brings grace and he says, I tell you what, he without sin. If you want to talk about God's perfect ideal, sin should cause death for everyone. So whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. And I'm so glad that we don't have to, guess what? I don't have to be demonized for any situation because I'd rather buy into what God says about me through his grace. Do you understand this? Now, am I encouraging the boy? No, I'm not. But that's a, that is a pain like no other. And if you've ever been connected to anybody going through that, that is a pain. They are brokenhearted. And Psalms 34, 17, 18 says that God is near to the brokenhearted. That means that the time where everybody's backing up and leaving you alone, God is getting closer to you. However, we have to stop the cycle. The cycle has to stop. And the reason why the cycle goes is because, number one, I believe the oversimplification of marriage. We ain't being real enough about this marriage thing. And people are getting married for the wedding. You got to fill your tank for the marriage journey, Jack. I live about 20 minutes, 20 miles away from here. What I look like with 10... 10 miles worth of gas, trying to come all the way over here. You got to be ready for the marriage journey. That means if you're looking for somebody you'll never have to forgive, you're going to be single till you're dead. If you're looking for somebody that's never going to disappoint you, you're going to be single till you're dead. If you're looking for somebody you're never going to argue with, you're going to be single till you're dead. Well, Brother Hamilton, I don't know about you, but my wife don't argue. No, she just don't tell you about it. Ask her girlfriend what she thinks. We got to get it right. We got to get it back. And we got to minister to those who had situations less than ideal. Y'all all right? We got 15, 20 minutes now, so we're going we're gonna to ask these questions. I'm sorry, but uh, this is the, we're, we're actually going to be done with this. We're moving into leadership next week because there are some who are desiring to be in leadership, and I believe that everybody should be educated 
about that because a church that doesn't know what God says can identify when it's not what God says. Amen? All right. Um, for the sake of time, uh, we're not going to introduce the panelists that were here on last week, uh, but we will ask the panelists that are new here to, do, to introduce themselves. And we only have about three new, four new panelists, and of course, one is not really a panelist. So everybody knows... Uh, Clinton Bojangle III. No, I'm Gerald Burnett, uh, music minister here. I'm also, uh, yeah, that's who I am. Thank you. Okay. I'm uh, Kira Johnson. I've been married about going on four years to Michael Johnson. Uh, we just started up the new marriage ministry here to our one. Uh, we have a blended family, about eight children. I have a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and I also have an associate's degree in nursing. Good morning, Mountain View. My name is Michael Johnson. I'm just blessed to be here and be a part of this that's going on. And I'm just ready to work. Thank you. Maurice Jones, the assistant minister here. I'm taking uh, Brother Gay's place uh, just on today as the, as the stabilizer. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to get right into these questions. First of all, just give God a hand clap of praise if these things help you, if they're helpful. All right. Amen. 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 Um, I want to start, go, go right in. And uh, Gerald, you, you, didn't, uh, you didn't share uh, some of the information, but I'm sure you'll get around to, to, to it, but how do you believe the church should deal with divorce today? And this, everybody doesn't have to answer, but we'll take a couple of the panelists. How do you believe we should deal with that? Any, anyone can answer. Anybody. You say anybody. Well, I go. I believe both the wife and the husband has to be willing to let the church be a part of their divorce problems. If so, then let the church have, have to know the root of the problem. If it is serious enough to get a divorce, will both sides be willing, for, be willing to go to counseling and don't pick, both, don't pick sides hmm. of each side? Okay. Anybody else? Good morning. Um, I believe the church, the way in which the church should deal with divorce is by having a good balance between spiritual integrity from the pulpit and the Bible classes, uh, but you need a good balance between spiritual integrity and also being proactive. Uh, you need to be as proactive in teaching us the importance of uh, restoration and reconciliation and restoring the marriage, but be equally as proactive in having things in place for, to minister to us. Uh, shouldn't always, there shouldn't always have to be an emergency meeting of the leadership if Sister Clayton is divorced and I'm, I'm in need of something. Uh, things should already be in place. So I guess in summary, I'm just saying yeah. spiritual integrity and things we're doing right now and having a good balance. Uh, from the, and I must say this, Brother Hamilton, there was a turning point in my journey was when you preached a sermon entitled 
coming to morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G worship. Because there are times I would come to church and I was in mourning. I didn't feel connected. But you gave me through the scripture, spiritual integrity, the right to come here and still be sad. But I know I'm still going to be saved. So thank you mm. for that. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Sister Clayton. Go ahead. All right. We're going to get, now, now that was very, that was a very surface question and we're going to go a little deeper. And if you want to know the situations of each person, because of the sake of time, we didn't do it. But those of you who were here last week know that uh, this is a panel of uh, therapists and people who have been divorced and married again and people who are divorced right now. And there's a married couple on the stage as well, just to have diversity so that everyone can hear from their group that that they're represented by. Uh, what are some possible warning signs of divorce and how can they be handled? I would say the warning signs when we separated. Once we separated, that was a warning sign because I pretty much knew then we wasn't going to come back. So mm. I would say well, once we separated, that mm. was a warning sign. Separation. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, I don't, I don't remember the exact, the exact name of the book, but the author, his name is John Gottman, and he talks about the four horsemen um, of divorce. And uh, it's, it's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Um, when you have those elements in place, more times than not, those are signs that divorce is, is just about eminent. And so uh, when you find those things uh, taking place, uh, those, are, those are bells and whistles saying that something needs attention. You have to have two people, uh, this is just my, 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 my conviction, you, you have to have people who are willing to actually check the marriage in as well. Uh, when you have one who is who's pushing, 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 that person will eventually get tired if they're faced with stonewalling or having to deal with stonewalling. So those are are, are signs, and um, and and again, you also have to have a willingness to to get it checked out as far as for for the second half of the question. Thank you, and I'm sure somebody's going to want to know what book that was by the end of the service. So if you can kind of dig that up, that might help. Yes. <clears throat> The book is called, uh, I'm Jackie Rogers. The book is called The um, Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Okay. Yes. So, and I told Perfect. him, Perfect. he was absolutely 100% correct. Yes. And so I absolutely agree with everything he said. Okay. But also, I want to piggyback um, on what he said about the separation part, because as we talked about last week, the separation occurs long before the physical separation occurs. Yeah. And so, when you have one partner, that's having more interest outside of the marriage, you know, and at work or whatever they may be, hobbies, and then there's a separation that's occurring at that point. So we need to start, you know, checking in more. Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, I guess everybody doesn't know, but I, I was married and divorced, and then I'm remarried now. Um, but I would say for me, uh, when communication leaves, when there is no communication, that's it. It's over. Amen. And these are, and as you listen, you get the benefit, and that's why we're thankful for the panelists. You get the benefit of hearing, taking what you need, and nobody knowing what you took. 
You're taking what you need. Nobody knows what you took. And that's all right. That's why we have this. And that's why we commend those who came uh, who can be transparent on this panel. I want to ask, what, there are married couples in here. Are there any newlyweds? Any newlyweds? One to five years, month, a month to five years? Raise your hand. I, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. All right. We have newlyweds in here. Anybody married one to seven years? All right. So we have people who are newlyweds and beyond the newlyweds. And then, you know, there's the seven-year itch that happens. Uh, uh, for some people, it's eight years. For some people, it's three years. What steps can couples take to divorce-proof their marriage? Um, I put um, praying trying to get to the root cause of why divorce is even on the table. Um, having consideration for all and not being selfish and listening to one another, not just hearing a person, but actually sitting there listening and try to relive what brought you two together at first and having empathy and be willing to change. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good words. Yeah. Good words. Good words. I believe um, having your own DNA taking the time to build your relationship with that person, start um, proofing your own marriage. A lot of times people listen to advice outside the marriage and what kills me is that we take advice from people who are not married, but you take <laughs> advice from them about your marriage. But building your relationship, understanding the person that you're with so that when outside talk does happen, you know your spouse and you know if that's really real or not. Amen, amen. I, I would say, Divorce proof starts long before the marriage even happens. Uh, I think people have lost the art of becoming friends as male and female without any sexual anything happening prior to that. Uh, I think a lot of us have lost that art of just being platonic, being friends. My wife and I developed a friendship and we were strictly just friends and we became best friends. So for me, for us, that's our best defense because when we're mad at each other, it don't last long because I got to talk to her. That's my friend. Exactly. You know, so that, that's been the foundation for me. Good, good words. Good words. Amen. Go I would say honesty. And one thing I love about me and Candace, we, um, we didn't like the word blended families or step kids. We didn't, we didn't want none of that. We, was, we said, if we're going to get married, then I got, we have six kids. And we did not want to use the word blended step, one-third, one-fourth, and was very honest with each other that all six of our kids was going to be Greg Landrum's and Candace Landrum's kids. And so that's why I believe her and I are really strong now, because we were very honest with that. And we, we, really, we really put emphasis on we are family. Amen. Amen. Thank yeah. you, Greg. Family. Amen. That's a good segue to the next question, mm -hmm. yeah. because what comes to church is a little bit of everything from everywhere and that's okay. It's okay, it doesn't matter what cars come to a repair shop. If the repairman, if the auto repairman knows what he's doing, he can fix all cars, all right? Jesus can fix anything. You, there are situations like yours mm -hmm. where there are blended families yeah. together. Maybe she has two kids yeah. and he has a kid and I wanna address this to you yeah. and I think Carlos and then uh, and it, yeah, most of you guys, um, how, what, what advice do you give, uh, 
to prevent divorce among that situation. You walk in and you have kids that you did not, that didn't come from your loins or didn't come from your womb, and that becomes a, a point of contention. What advice do you give? I will say this. When we first had Dior, Candace and I, and I remember we would tell Chunk and Bless, you know, that just because we have new kids, we not, you are not going to be second tiers. And I remember when we first had Dior and we brought her home, my son Chunk came in the room and I saw that him, he was kind of drawn up a little bit. And I took the baby and I put it in his hands and I said, son, she's just as much as your sister as she's my daughter. And that's why our relationship is special, me and my son, Antonio, because I made sure, I didn't want him to think that he was second tier. And so from day one, we put that in our kids here that all six of us is going to be first tier. They're all my favorites. All six of them. Amen. But my son, he has special privilege because he's the prince. All right. I'll give it to you. Uh, I would. For me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. For me, um, when I first met my wife, she had a newborn baby in her hand when mm -hmm. I first met her. Fast forward, he's 10 years old now, my stepson. Aiden, I love him with all my heart. Amen. But there are different dynamics, and I respect them. But for, for our situation, I purposely call him my stepson, not because I love him any less, but because he has a dad in his life that's awesome. And I let that be his dad more so. He sees me as a dad, but when people correct me and say, well, that's not your step, he is my stepson because his dad is awesome. And people say that generally because the situation was bad. You know, but my situation is not, our blended family works just well. My wife, I, our son that we've had together is almost three. We go to Aiden's basketball games with his dad and his wife and their two sons. And we all sit together. We get invited over to their house. We have an excellent relationship uh, as a blended family. But he's my stepson only, only because his dad is extremely active. And if his dad wasn't in the picture, I'd be saying, yeah, that's my son. <laughs> it's all you know? right, brother. So. Very right. good, very good. That's all right. Very mature position. Man. Actually, mine's a little bit different. Um, I have three kids. I have a 23-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son, and a 15-year-old son. Um, blended families is not easy sometimes. You know, Marcy has a daughter, but I call her my daughter. Amen. That way, because the world sometimes will take the word stepchild and then demonize it or just turn right. it down. So I didn't want to set that apart. And I still run into struggles now because the way I raise mine is still sometimes different the way she raised hers, so I respect her boundaries. Amen. So when it comes to certain things that are certain things that's handled by her, and certain things I talk to her and then let her relate a message and vice versa. So, so even now sometimes it's still difficult, but we make it work. Amen. Very good. And I just want to um, piggyback off of what he said about the, um, um, the parenting styles. Parenting styles are, are really, really huge in blended families. Because if you have a parent that's more permissive than authoritative, um, then, you know, that's going to be a real conflict in that marriage. So you want to make sure that you guys are on the same page as far as your um, parenting styles. And that, you know, the kids, their thing is to divide and conquer. So you want to make sure <laughs> that they're not dividing and conquer. And it's a we against them attitude. But more so, we need to respect the boundaries. As Jefferson boundaries of um, you know all relationships all parties that are involved mm. amen amen very good I, I want to address uh, another forgotten group and 
anybody on the panel can address this. Uh, and the children of divorcees. Okay, yeah. Um, what? Um, That's tough. How do how do how do they pick up the pieces when they saw when they lived with two parents and suddenly uh, mama's the only one or daddy's the only one? Uh, I, no doubt there are people in this audience who grew up and experienced seeing your parents divorce. Um, what advice can we give to the children? of divorces. Uh, as, as a child of parents who did divorce, um, one of the things that, that always stood out for me was um, I always wanted to know, well, what's going to be happening with me? When they first, when they divorced, I didn't know what was, go what was going to happen. And, situationally and this, that, and the other. And so I was a, uh, just a big bundle of emotions. And so uh, I'm thankful to God that, that for my parents, they still stayed in tune with me and the rest of my siblings as well. They always communicated. And so whenever I had questions about well, what was going on, where am I, you know, what's gonna happen this weekend and this, that, they were always, they always shared. And I think that you can get through it in a healthy manner you can, it just always does not happen. Uh, and also just, just, just in dealing with uh, something else that they were talking about as far as bringing children in, one thing when, when, uh, when my wife and I, when we married, I already had a child. And uh, one amazing thing for me was to watch how she treated my oldest child as if though she had given birth herself. And so, um, uh, for those who find themselves in that situation, I think I think love is universal. Yeah. Everyone knows how to smell love. Everyone knows how to how how to give love. And when love is the dominant force within the relationship, I think I think that almost anything can be overcome, and almost anything can be dealt with with love and communication. You can just you can knock out just about anything. But Amen. just making sure that your kids know yeah. that that they were loved, and yeah. they know what's going to happen with them from 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 day to day. If they if it's going to be spending the night at, at you know at mom's or dad's, let that be known. Is structure yeah. and that communication, and I just structure. That's what helped me. <laughs> structure and communication. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I would say he, he's he's so right. Um, my two daughters in Boston, they they didn't think um, I loved them more like I love my kids here, and so what I had to do is communicate consistently, and so I would send my kids, my daughter Niambi and Shanice, text messages. I'll call them, check up on them, and make sure they know that Daddy loves them regardless. And again, Candace has been very helpful in that, and also my kids here. You have to be consistent with them. You got to let them know that, yes, mommy and daddy didn't make it, but we still love you. We still care for you, and we're still going to do our best to take care of you. What would you say to them about their relationships? Uh, sometimes we end up a reflection of what we saw in our childhood, uh, not just in relationships, but habits. Some of us have our parents' demons. I know there's a wave of quiet, but some of the demons we have, we inherited. Right. That's true. Uh, by what we were exposed to. Not that they were bad parents, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. they were parents like we are 
working it out as they went along. And sometimes what happens to you in that period of your life, you carry with you into relationships. So what, what admonishment do you have for them as they're dating now? And uh, especially when they're dating someone who does not know what that's like to see people divorce and they go into a relationship and they come out of that situation and the other person can't connect. What, what advice do you have for that? Oh no, and I would say it's sort of hard in these, in these times right now because being your child's friend and being your child's parent, it don't go both ways sometimes. And being your friend, they'll come to you with their problems and being their parent, they'll hide it from you. Mm. So I would just say just be transparent as you can be with your, with your children. Yeah. Amen. As transparent as Amen. You can be. Friend and parent, I like that. Yeah. And isn't that some good stuff? Any of you, your parent, your kid's best friend? Yeah. And they, they 10? You better back that up. <laughs> back that thing up. You're going to turn 13 and get some other friends. Yeah, it's true. All right, go. This Stand, is great. Staying in tune, yeah. um, knowing exactly what you've gone through. I come from a divorced family, and um, at the age of 11, I had to take on roles as the dad of the house. I started getting my sisters up, getting ready for school, cooking breakfast, running the bus stops. At the time, we stayed in South Dallas, so I had to run one, two sisters to school on the other side of town and run back, get a little brother ready, and then get him to the bus stop and then run to get me to the bus stop. So when I got older, I paid attention. And when I had kids, I made sure that my children were children, that they didn't try to take on the role of being a parent or being an adult at that age. I let them ride bikes. I let them enjoy themselves. And it was a struggle, but I made sure I stuck to that. That's good. And it made a big difference in my daughter and my son now. And the proudest moment I had was um, this last Father's Day. My son texted me and said, thank you for being a great dad, for letting me be who I am and being there for me. And I thought I was like still working on being a, a good man myself. So it makes a big difference. And my daughter, which stepdaughter, but I call her daughter, she just, she said, thank you for being in my life and hoping that one day when I get older that I'll marry someone just Amen. like you. Amen. Oh. Yeah. That's meaningful. 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 I want a good brother. Uh, oh, yeah, that's very meaningful. Carlos a good brother. And we would, we would like to hope that our daughters want someone like us as men and our sons yeah. want someone like their mom, right? Amen. That's right. Not to be their mom. That's right. Amen, walls and electric lights. <laughs> oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I want to address this to Sister Clayton, and she hasn't said anything, but last week you said something so compelling and so poignant, and, and, and I wanted to address that. It's, it's, it, I put it on for this week's panel uh, about um, choosing healthy confidants in the process, who will not pour gasoline on bitterness? Because you can get the wrong friend and it'll make you worse. You'll become bitter, they'll detach, and they'll detach for the same reason why they contributed 
to your bitterness. You, bit, you end up bitter and they don't want it. So how do, finding the right confidant and pumping the brakes on becoming bitter. I was very fortunate and very blessed to, before my crisis of divorce, I was very blessed to have a really good circle of friends who were also my circle of influence. My mom always told me, hang around folks who can teach you something. Who can bring you up. So my, my circle of uh, friends, confidence, whatever, through my process, there were people from different walks of life, different marital statuses. Uh, some been married a long time, some were divorced, some of everything. But when choosing the confidant for me, it just my confidant and my friends to me are almost one and the same because I look for consistency in all relationships. People are you're consistent in my life, I, I, yeah, that's, that's a check. So I'm, I look for, my confidence are people who are consistent. They are people who will hold me accountable as well as I hold them accountable. They won't let me say and think and do anything uh, that's wrong or it's stinking thinking or whatever the case may be. So there are people who I trust with anything. I don't have to censor anything. I don't have to be, they're not judgmental. They're not, once again, but they're holding me accountable. Accountability does not mean that, you know, they can't, that means they're going to give you their opinion and they're going to sometimes correct you. You're not always right. Who wants to have a friend or a confidant who never corrects you? Uh, so it was important to me, as I said, to, and, and uh, this was real important, guys, right here. Although I have, still have, all these different people in my life, my confidants, I realized that they all have different roles. I could not take every situation. I'm getting ready to be real transparent, really transparent. Sister Twyman is one of my confidants. I, can't take, I couldn't take some of the specifics of my divorce to Sister Twyman. She's never been there. Uh, some things may not have even been age appropriate. Just for me knowing Sister Twyman, she wouldn't even be able to relate. Sister Twyman wasn't the one for that problem. Uh, there are other people in my, Tressa Dukes was one of my confidants. Uh, Tressa and I had a whole lot in common. I could be more specific sometimes with things with Tressa than I could with Sister Twyman and others. You know who you are, but I'm just using those specific situations. So my, in selecting a confidant, find somebody who also is, a, a, even though they were all different in their own way, the one thing they did have in common is they were godly women. Amen. And that was really important because there are times I couldn't think for myself. I was so out of it mentally, I could not even think. So I needed someone who would give me good, practical, yet godly advice that I could just take carte blanche. It didn't, I didn't even have to think about it. So, okay, they said it, I believe it, I'm going to do this. You can be so down in this process and so out of it mentally. Your mental health is so important that you need people, confidence, who you can believe even when you can't think for yourself, you don't believe in yourself, and you just don't know what to do. They have to be consistent, though. And you, they, I, can tell, I can tell my, my Peter, James, and John anything, and I know that information is not going to meet me to church. Mm. Uh, Very good. And I, so let's, let me say something about that too. So having said that, <laughs> don't be offended. <laughs> don't be offended when someone is going through a divorce and they don't readily answer all of your questions and share uh, with you because they don't trust you. 
You've given them no reason to trust you. They don't distrust you, but there is no relationship. Right. Very good. Very so, good. Yeah, don't, 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 just don't, don't cry. Powerful. Don't cry and try to get information because we, we, don't need, we don't need you in our lives like that. So when we say pray for us, we really mean pray for us, and that's pretty much all you can do in most situations. Right. I want to add Amen. To I want to add to that. Another thing that was really important was I was divorced, and the reason why I didn't say nothing, the divorce was rough. But what was hard was coming to church because I would hear people talk about divorcees, and I'm very protective of my kids. Had they been me, you probably would have got hit in the mouth. And mm -hmm. I don't mean that in a negative way, it's just that I'm protective of my kids, and you don't know the situation, and we'll make comments quick, and every last one of us know we've seen it. But the hardest thing was coming through them doors, and okay, I see this person talk, so then I kept reserved. And I didn't say that for years, and this was kind of hard for me to get up there talking about it. But sometimes the church house, the people that we call friends that's supposed to be praying for us, supposed to be there for us, are the main ones attacking. You know? mm -hmm. And for men, have that core group. You know? Have that core group. Maurice, Mike, James, the money, Raymond. That's my crew. I shut this place down and go with them every time because when I came to them, they didn't talk about me. They said, let's pray about this. And then they called and checked on me. And every day at the door, they met me. There are other men there too, but they met me. They reminded me, that, you know what? You can do this and we'll do it together. Amen. 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 Very good. Amen. Very good. I, I, I want to emphasize, and this is good stuff. You know, let me add, don't, you know, don't be surprised if you confide in a parrot and hear it again. Um, because parrots repeat. And I think, I think that's a dangerous thing. And the way you can tell a parrot is by what the parrot will tell you about other people. If there's somebody that will tell you somebody else's trusted business, you're fair game. This is just the rule of thumb. But I want to talk about the bitter. I really want to address the bitter uh, because, and, and I heard that come out, and of course, we're glad you didn't punch anybody in the mouth. Uh, uh, we're baptizing. I'm going to baptize you and hold you down a little longer. But, uh, but I want to talk about the bitterness because bitterness can change you. And it's, and it's not just the bitterness of divorce. You can be bitter in an unhappy marriage and change and change with everybody else. So the sending away does not have to be literal. You can send somebody away in your own house and be bitter about it. So I want to address the bitterness. How, what do you have for dealing with bitterness? Because sometimes, as you said, church folk can, not Christians, but church folk can add fire to that bitterness. But how do you, how do you stop yourself from becoming somebody, a monster, <laughs> the very thing you dislike in the first place? Surround yourself around good spiritual people. Your circle has to change because I, be, I was very bitter when I was in Boston. I was just, I felt like everybody was judging me. So I didn't want to go to church. I felt more comfortable working in my work environment than my church. I felt more comfortable working around my, I don't want to say worldly friends, but around my coworkers and my friends. So I started hanging out with my friends because I didn't want to be judged. And so because I didn't want to be judged, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be around no Christian people. They made, it, they made you feel like you can never recover and do God's will again. Mm. That's how I felt until um, 
I stopped studying the Bible. I, I went and started hanging around my mother and my brother Chris. And I rehabilitated myself and I'm stronger and better than ever now. Praise God. Praise God. And I don't mean that arrogant. I mean that humble. I'm just, I'm in a better place. Amen. That's all. Amen. Going to God, taking the time to um, educate yourself in the word, taking the time to apply to those wounded places that you need that, that ointment, that, that, that time, really just taking the time to yourself. Because if you can't love yourself or heal yourself, how can you help anybody That's else? True. So. It's just taking, taking that moment to yourself to, to breathe, see where you're at, and begin that rebuilding process with yourself first. I had to be honest with myself. I saw myself starting to, in the previous marriage, act out in ways that were totally uncharacteristic of who Gerald is. And when that happened, I knew at that point I had to, I had to remove myself from the situation um, before, before I ended up doing something that I knew I would regret. Um, I've never ever hit a woman before, but I felt myself wanting to. So I had to go. I mean, I'm just being honest, I had to go. Uh, my parents' view of me mattered a whole lot. When I knew I had their support, that did a lot for me. Um, and then I talked to David Andrews a few times, and he told me something that just freed me. He said, Gerald, if anybody at church has a problem with you, maybe they need to find another ministry or another church to go to. When he told me that, I was, I was good. But um, for me, it was just really my family and then I guess the leadership and me feeling like I, I didn't want to come to church either. I felt uh, embarrassed. I felt, you know, that people would look at me differently. People would want to judge me, not, not knowing the situation, just seeing the tag divorced or where she at. We ain't seen her in a while. You know, I, I didn't want, I dodged those questions. I didn't. I didn't even want to talk to people. I would kind of go, I would go the long way to get out because I didn't want to, to run into people and to answer questions and all of that. But once I saw that people still kind of treated me the same, uh, we praying for you. People didn't really try to pry and, uh, and uh, to know the specifics. That made me feel a whole lot better. Amen. Amen. I just, we'll take uh, one more on this question. I just want to jump in and uh, just, just, just say a couple things. Um, one, the individual in the relationship, and it's, it's an unfortunate truth, but the individual in the relationship that cares about the relationship the most is the one that hurts the most. Because you see, you see what's happening and you know what's going on and you hold on and you hold on and you try to love a person out of bad behaviors and it does not work. Um, I was in a relationship, and I've just, I've never really, I've never shared this before, but I was in a relationship that where I was being abused. I had, I had hot macaroni thrown on me. My car window was busted. I've not knives and it's the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. But for me, I held on to the notion that if I, if I fire more love, care, and concern at the individual, that they would change. It does not work. It doesn't. You have to, at some point, grab hold to yourself and love your, you have to love yourself enough to grasp, to 
grasp the golden rule that the master laid out. Jesus said to love one another as, uh, as you would have them. I can't even think of it now. <laughs> love one another as, as you would you have them. Yeah, yeah, as you would. Let's, let's pray, everybody. Wait. Thank you, Brother Joe. No, no, no. I, I, I get to, you. I have to say this. Go though. ahead. Finish. At the, at the end of the day, love others as you would, as you would love yourself. Do unto others. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's it. Okay. Now. No, 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 no. no. Wait, we got to no, no, go. No, no, no. You do unto others. <laughs> cut it out. But at go, the end of the ahead. day, at the end of the day, you also have to learn to do unto yourself as you would do unto others. Because you're not going to just disrespect someone else. You're not going to overlook and just discount and disenfranchise someone else. So don't you do it to yourself as well. So if you yeah. find yourself in a garbage situation, then, then you have enough love for you to take care of you. And I want to thank Brother Jones for being transparent. I know he was struggling off through there with the scriptures. And uh, we've been friends a long time. I, 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 if you all could just forbear, just two more quick questions. Brother Helmsley, can I please say something? Just one Oh, yes, thing. go ahead. Well, one more question, then. Go ahead. Two, two things. No, no, I'm not messing with you. In my journey, I, had to com I committed myself to getting better. And when you commit yourself to getting better, you yeah. don't have time to be bitter. Right. Amen. Uh, just remember, better versus bitter. Which one do you want? And I said last week, and I really remember this, when you get to the point that you can pray for that individual, not trying to sit God on him or her through prayer, but pray for them and really want the best for them, guys, you will be delivered. I'm telling you. So commit to being better, and then you don't have time to be bitter. I've spent the past five years working on personal growth and development. I don't have time to worry about that other stuff. Amen. Amen. Because it'll keep you busy being better. That, that'll keep you busy enough. Uh, is this helping anybody? We got one more question. Uh, and I was going to ask another question that would have taken us deeper. I'm, I'm going to withhold it because another pachyderm in the pulpits and pews and in families is what some of the married people who are still married now uh, and have tenure, what they had to survive. And that's another quiet one, you know, nobody talks about infidelity. Uh, you know, when we're in public, we say, well, if that happens, I'm out, isn't that? But you're sitting in the church with people who have forgiven that in their marriage. You don't know who they are. You may know who they are. Uh, some of the worst of the worst happen with couples who decided to stay through it. It stopped eventually, uh, but, but that was a question I wanted to address, but because of time, for the sake of time, uh, and we'll probably do that when this comes back around again on, the, on next year when we deal with this particular subject. But what I do want to ask and end with is uh, <clears throat> things not to do after a divorce. What shouldn't you do? You should not date. When I was divorced, I, I told myself, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to even get involved with females at least for a year. I, I need to, and I, and I went back to counseling uh, for myself. So I, for a year, 
I knew it was at least a year. I didn't go out on dates. I didn't communicate with females in that kind of way at all because I felt like I had to had to get back to I had to get used to being by myself again and it just and find myself again as a just as a as a man. Amen. Did you hear that? Don't date. And, we, and please elaborate. Why why shouldn't people date right after a divorce? Because you just came out of something traumatic. Yeah. Um, the first thing the counselor told me was, "Don't make any." important decisions right now. He told me that. Don't make no important decisions right now. I felt like I was fine, but he said it don't matter what you feel. You, this is a traumatic situation. You got to just kind of take it easy right now. Just, I mean, decisions, any, any, any serious decisions, put them on the back burner. For, uh, don't make any, any, I guess, quick or rash decisions. Right. So I, I took that information to heart and I, and I didn't. And it was, it was good for me to do that because it it gave me a chance to be single again, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed coming home and being by myself in my own place. I looked forward to being at home by myself. I enjoyed being a single man, going for the first time ever, I would go out to eat by myself. I would go to the movies by myself, and I had a blast with just me. <laughs> I, I hadn't spent time with myself before. I always felt like I had to be with somebody, even as... Before I got married the first time, I felt like I had to be with somebody all the time. But now, even, even though I'm married again, I enjoy me. So it, it gave me a chance to know who I was and to be comfortable. Everybody's not comfortable with themselves. Right. Uh, right. So you got to get to know you again. Amen. Amen. And I just want to say on that Good. point, Good stuff. what Brother Gerald just said, we, um, do not make decision in an emotional state whether you realize you are in that emotional state or not. But just don't, uh, don't try to make any important decisions. And also, when he talks about gaining self-knowledge, that's very, very important that we have self-knowledge of ourselves because self-knowledge is like education about who we are. Self-awareness is what we do with that self-knowledge. And so once we figure that out, growth takes place. And then we're in a better position to you know, move on and maybe you know, start dating again after some time. After some time. Amen. Amen. Um, also, after a divorce, I think you shouldn't use energy bashing the person that you just got divorced Good from. Good point. Take that time, take that positive energy, and get to know you. Get back to the you state of you. Don't go around every time you see someone that knows that person, well, you know what he did, or you know what she said, or this is why we divorced, blah, blah, blah. Get to know yourself. Get back to you. That's what's up. That's Amen. Amen. Don't let, don't let go of God. Um, the biggest thing that I had to learn that after my divorce, I began to read more, study more, and it was, I was amazed at how God related to me. It's kind of like you said, now that I got you by yourself, let me work on who you are. And in that process, I became a better man, and I knew what I was looking for going forward. I was aware of the signs. Now, more than ever, I go to God first before I even do anything. So. Don't let go of God. Don't try to take it on yourself. Don't put yourself on the island and then try to swim back on your own. Man. Powerful. Powerful. Um, I would say um, don't give in or succumb to loneliness. The loneliness is real. It, it's, it's, it follows you every day of your life. Uh, but don't give in to it. Because uh, loneliness will get you in a world of trouble. So don't give in to loneliness. Uh, please do not ignore your mental health. 
I've talked a lot about mental health because I was very unhealthy mentally at one point, and I'm not exactly where I want to be now. That's why I told y'all last week, every three months, I go to my therapist. Without any shame, I go. Uh, and take time to um, look for opportunities. man. Look for opportunities to minister to others. Yeah. Um, that was one thing that really, really has helped me to move forward, that even in the midst of my mess, I always found somebody else. It may not have been going through divorce, but somebody else I could minister to, try to pour into. And um, not only is that good kingdom work, but it's good therapy. Uh, it was good therapy for has been good therapy for me. So just... Um, don't don't and don't keep rehearsing the past. That's true. Because you're you're bound, I believe. If I keep rehearsing, I'm bound to stay there. I want to move forward. I want to live again. I want to love again. I want to do all those things again. I can't do that if I keep living in the past. And don't allow other people to put pressure on you and to move you further in the process and you're ready to go. So realize it's an individualized, customized uh, situation that, that, that God has you in for whatever reason and, and uh, in your own time in due season this too will pass amen 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 let's give them a hand one of the things that people we do is we like to shape narratives to make us look like the victim uh, be careful about doing that because the narrative that you shape that makes you look like the victim and the other person becomes hated by everyone you know, you never know what that relationship will turn into. And that's just not a marriage. That's period. You talk bad about somebody, you shape the narrative, you get other people to see them the way you do, and then that person ends up becoming your, one of your best friends now you got to worry about whether or not what you said about them in that period will come to their ears. Be careful about that because we're so finite and we only know what's going on right now. I want to personally, and I want you to join me in thanking these panelists for coming and being transparent. Thank you. And uh, uh, that takes a lot of guts. Uh, it's, uh, like I said, it's the pachyderm in the pulpits and pews not being talked about, particularly in our fellowship. They were bold enough to do it and to come forth and to share some things. And prayerfully, everybody in here, whatever was in the atmosphere that was for you, you reached out and grabbed it, reached out and grabbed it. That's between you and God. Just know that God does these things and allows for these things so that we can get our healing. Some people say, Lord, heal me, and others just touch the hem of his garment. And so if you had to touch the hem of the garment today, that's fine. You get your healing because the power is in the word of God. Amen? Let's give him another hand. Everybody stand to your feet. I want to do something different in this closing.